Welcome to a new episode of the Pedestrian Podcast, the first one in a little while. Myself, Stuart Court, and as ever, Mr. Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? I'm good. It's a big day in Nathan Towers. We've got little Jacob's moved into his own room for the first time, and he's been asleep for an hour so far. But at any point, shit could hit the fan, <laughs> arguably literally uh, and metaphorically. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're keeping tabs, but so far, so good. You're touching all of the wood. And joining us now uh, this week, the first time in a little while, uh, Mr. Joe Fan. Welcome back to the Ped Pod, sir. How are we? Fellas, it's good to be back. Doing well. How are you guys? Happy New Year. And to you. Happy New Year to you. I'm very uh, aware of Larry David's seven-day rule with the Happy New Year's, so we're just still inside that, that window. Is, oh, because you get it to the first week, you can say Happy New Year? That's yeah. Fair. Yeah, yeah. So after January seventh, he can't say. It, I think is his is his quote. I, th- I think that's more than fair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. as always, Aldi is usually on the money. Indeed. Um, so week eighteen, Seahawks uh, don't control their own destiny. They beat the Jets. Um, if you, Mike White, we'll, we'll, we'll go for everything. But Joe, Mike White, that for my money is one of the worst quarterback performances I think I've seen in the NFL from Mike White on Sunday. He was garbage. Yeah, he was terrible. And and what's a shame from a Jets standpoint is like they just needed him to be competent because, you know, Zach Wilson was so bad and has been so bad. I mean, they've lost so many games just due to a lack of competent quarterback play. And I think that's why, you know, when you think game manager, you think of it as like an insult. But like when I hear game manager or when I define game manager, I think of – doesn't make the big mistake, Take takes what's there, and will keep you in games. Maybe isn't the reason why you're winning games, but he's not going to be the reason why you lose. And the quarterback position is why the Jets have lost so many games. They were in such a driver's seat um, for a playoff spot uh, in, in year two under Robert Sala. They're not going to get there, which is is really disappointing given the position they were in you know, a month ago. Yeah. I, was, I was doing a post-game show, and, and people were like in the comments saying uh, – you know, it's a shame to have the win because it affects the draft position and stuff like that. I, I've never subscribed to that in the first place, but I, it felt particularly this week. The Seahawks were in a bit of a funk, like at one and five since Munich. And I don't know, like winning, I, I'd always rather win than lose regardless, but I felt the way in which they won, you know, people will have their arguments about whether they support the Pete Carroll philosophy, just another whole discussion. But if Pete Carroll is going to be the head coach, I was quite optimistic to see the way in which they won, because it felt like they won how they want to win games. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think also, I mean, what you mentioned off the top is really important. I mean, they'd looked really bad for a month and a half. I mean, their one win uh, was against a Rams team that was missing everybody. And it was ugly. And it took a last second drive or last minute drive from Geno to get there. So, yeah, I think. When you when your win total is set at five and a half and you get to seven, you know you can't really argue that it's a, a a poor season. But the way it felt like the entire roster was regressing, it was a little bit concerning. It sours that a touch, um, you know, in terms of the the vibes that were built, in terms of you know the playoffs being a very real thing and all of that. At, you know, what they were six and three. Um, you know, so I think it was really encouraging to see them just play a good game and have the running game there. Kenneth Walker looked really good. DJ Dallas, it looks like a tremendous complimentary back. Gino was was back to his efficient ways. The defense, most notably, uh, Daryl Taylor 
really stepped up. So yeah, I think that was all, that's what you're looking to, to build on. And if you can beat the Rams, whether the, the Packers win or lose, I think you can at least, you can go into the off season with better vibes in terms of the trajectory of the team compared to where things were in the middle of December. Yeah. No, but also, yeah. Uh, Adam. I've- yeah. No, it, it's, it's actually really quite interesting because at the end of last year, they had two really good wins to round off the season. And then you kind of had the whole, well, let's run it back scenario uh, where people kind of taught themselves out of wanting wholesale changes uh, into being like, okay, let's give Pete, John and, and Russ one more year to see what happens. Cause you know, Rashad Penny was on fire. Wilson looked good. And they had two really good wins. And Joe, I was looking back at a conversation we had that, that it was just after the day of the Raiders game. So we'd just fallen to six and five and you put a poll out, on social media about would you rather have Denver's top five pick or be in the playoffs? And I was in the minority saying I'd rather be in the playoffs because winning breeds winning and it, you know, it'd be good to know that there's good stuff going on for the future. And, and to paraphrase your, your question, it's like, well, don't you already think we've seen enough that there are green shoots for the future? Has your view changed on that in sort of like a three and a two and three stretch since then? I mean, that, that was those two losses weren't ideal, but I, you know, you could kind of close one eye and squint with the other and see why they lost to the Raiders and, and kind of move on, you know, a, a week away from potentially the end of the season and all, all the press conferences that come with that. Uh, you know, d- d- how are you feeling going into the off season? If you were a Seahawk fan, like from, from an optimism standpoint, because I, I'm not entirely sure where I am yet. I think the optimism for me largely stems from the draft capital at their disposal to where they have so much, at their disposal to make improvements and, you know, target the areas of need and attack them. Um, and they should be able to do so in free agency and get creative with the cap as, as GMs are able to do. You know, I'm not one who really spends a lot of time looking at cap space and whatever, because you can get so creative and, and cap space is so malleable that, you know, it's, if you need to get something done, there's a guy you want to go get, you can find a way to make it happen and be create creative with, with how you structure it all. So um, yeah, I think, you know, certainly Sunday was their best game in two months. Um, I still think that they are in need of an entire overhaul, overhaul of the interior, the offensive line, you know, maybe not Damian Lewis, but, but certainly another guard and a center. I, I think, gosh, a couple of weeks ago that, you know, seeing Creed Humphrey, just in person, uh, it makes it so frustrating. And that's not like, that's not a, re- you know, hindsight's 2020 type deal. I mean, when D. Eskridge was picked, everybody was like, well, oh, okay. I mean, hopefully he's that cool gadget Debo Samuel type guy, but man, they just missed on the top center in the draft and they desperately need to center. And all of a sudden uh, it took what, three weeks, six weeks for us to realize, oh God, this guy's not just good. He's the best in the entire league. So mm. Um, yeah, that, that wasn't a, a, a hard thing to watch, but certainly defensively, you know, I don't think you can look at it and say, okay, well, Jamal Adams is going to come back and be an all pro. Well, you don't really know that. Um, I think you still have faith in what Quandre Diggs will give you. You have faith in Tariq Woolen. Um, but now you just lost Jordan Brooks for most of, if not all of next season. Um, Daryl Taylor's emergence is uh, to me that the most important storyline running, um, Based on what the unknown is, I think at this point, you know, Kenneth Walker's good. You obviously know what you have at receiver. You know, I'm, I'm willing to accept that Geno Smith's a good quarterback. I don't need to like it. I don't need to see anything from him. But yeah, Daryl Taylor getting hot down the stretch of the season where they make the playoffs or not is like, okay, maybe the cupboard's not completely bare there behind Uchenna Nwosu. 
Um, but certainly in the interior, you need, you need a bunch of guys. So it's, it's, it's who, who are the foundational pieces on your defense. And right now I don't know who they have outside of Tariq Woolen. And, and I can give you Quandre, but, but even then he's sort of aging to a degree. Um, he's not a spring chicken anymore. And so um, that, that kind of tempers any like immense optimism, but yeah, they they are sitting in a great spot given all the capital they have at their disposal. Yeah, and also getting into the playoffs would be good for the Tariq Williams, the young players, William Mafe, Daryl Taylor, especially Daryl Taylor, who's clearly in a bit of a groove to carry on for an extra week, extra 10 days or so, and experience that playoff win and go home, win or go home kind of vibe because it kind of seemed like that was the vibe of 2012 with Russ and Bobby and that kind of team, that team's emergence as well. It it clearly holds some, some weight to experience those games, doesn't it? Yeah, I think... There were signs there of an elite defense at the end of that 2011 season to where you're not seeing that currently. No. And you can maybe flip it like, okay, is is this offense, you know, the 2012 defense mm-hmm. and the, the defense in 2023 could be the 2012 offense. You know, I, I don't know if I want to go there. I mean, if you look at it I'll, and I'll go find it right now because it is worthwhile. Um of, of just what I think it's easy to throw around. Okay. This could be the 2011 or 2012, but even you go back to 2011, you know, over the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine weeks of the season. So half the season, they gave up less than, than 20 points. One, two, three, four, five, six times. Uh, and two other occasions or three other occasions, it was 23 points. You know, so it, the signs were there that, that this is turning to where they could compete with some of the best in the league. I don't know if I, I feel that way, given what you saw against Kansas city and, and San Francisco, just two weeks prior to what they did against the jets. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I think there is reason for cautious optimism, but I don't look at this and say, man, if they have a great off season, they could be a real contender in the NFC. Yeah. I think my biggest comparison to 2012 is that, this year, for the first year in a long time, obviously you had two Super Bowls in there, but I, I'm not ready for the season to end. And like th- for the last three or four or five years, I've been bored as fuck when it comes around to this point of the season, to be honest. Like there's been no hope. You know, the, the, the end of the line has been very clear that it was always going to happen when you come against a better team or even a team that like functions. And at least now I feel like I'm, I've watched a team this season that's trying to play with an identity. All right, they're undermatched. Uh, a lot, but they've, you know, they, they've kind of schemed or kind of fought and scrapped their way to wins, which, yeah, that's what we really want to see as fans, right? You know, unless you're going to see, you know, have the privilege to watch Patrick Mahomes every week, you just want to see your team fight for you. And I think for the first time in three or four years, I, I think we've seen that in almost every position. And I'll miss this team, uh, even if they probably the worst team they've had in a decade. I think that's fair. Um you know, I think it also, it, there's a different, you're, you're looking at it through a different lens too. You know, it's, you know, you're trying to build something um, or, or tweak something or recreate something rather than hang on for dear life to what you've got. And that is what the last five years of Seahawks football really felt like. And to, to be in that good, not great sort of void is a really tough place to be. Um, and really leads to some honest conversations and some tough conversations. But yeah, I mean, they didn't, they haven't been back to an NFC championship game since 2014. And 
You know, I, I think even when you saw them making the playoffs, even in, in 2020, when they win the division, there now there were stretches there of dominance, certainly in the first half of the season, but there wasn't an it always felt like squeaking by. It never felt like you showed up and kicked the shit out of somebody. And that's what you see from, you know, you named the, the Super Bowl favorite. They've got, you know, maybe, maybe you know, and I wouldn't even consider the Vikings in that because I don't think they have that moment. But but all the teams you look at and say, oh, yeah, they could win the Super Bowl. They've had get specific games you can point to and say, yeah, that one is like you watched that and said, this is one of the best teams in football. You rarely did that with the Seahawks. You rarely watch a game and be like, oh, yeah. This is one of the best teams out there. And I don't think that's revisionist history either. I think that's something we all sort of felt of like, okay, they're they're winning, but like what really is the ceiling of this team? Yeah, it was like, it was like an, the uncomfortable truth, wasn't it? Like just lurking above uh, a lot of the Seahawks wins. Um, but if the Seahawks win on Sunday and the Lions uh, win in Green Bay, is, is it a free hit or is it just like you're in it, try and take it the whole way? Or is it, or is it just legitimately... We didn't expect to be here, kind of thing. If they make the playoffs, yeah, yeah, it's house money. I mean, yeah. I think everyone they would be touchdown at least touchdown underdogs to whoever they played. It's most likely would be the Niners. Mm. Yeah, they they'd be ten point dogs probably, and and understandably so, given what happened in both the games they've played against San Francisco. Um, so yeah, I think. You know, that's sort of why I, I I get exactly what, you know, Adam's saying. But, you know, to me, you look at that Denver pick, you just got to stay inside the top five because you lose out. You lose the top five, then it becomes now, oh, well, should they trade back from, what, six, seven, eight to, to get more capital? Because the, the difference between one through three or four is much different than the difference between six and 15. Hmm. Um, Five's the worst it can be now, I think, right? Yeah. yeah, I think so. Okay. So, yeah, I. that's a good point. But, yeah. yeah obviously, look, you, put guess, this, you put this question out at the end of November when, you know, Denver could have gone on a run and, and won nine games. Sure. Yeah. I, I I do. I just, I did. I, I don't think. Yeah, you get in, you never know. Ball bounce is weird. It's your, it's your day. It's the other team's off day. An injury happens. Whatever. You can't rule it out. But to win, what, three road games in a row and then make your way into a super, I mean, it would be a crazy story and it'd be, you know, certainly fun to, to at least show up. It's, it's kind of like the best of both worlds, right? If you can make the playoffs and watch a game sort of stress-free, like you want your team to win, but nobody expects them to, you don't really expect them to. And that's not really a very common uh, experience in the NFL where you're saying, man, I don't, I don't feel like they have to win. So yeah, you get to play with house money to a degree, which is always nice. Yeah, it's, it's it's always tough for a team to beat another team three times in one season as well. Yeah, I don't know if I subscribe to that theory, but like maybe. I think it's like one of the worst cliches ever. If you beat them twice, you beat them the yeah, third no, time. I think it, I think it's yeah. I, like I get what you're saying because in a vacuum, you're like, if these teams played three times, they might go two and one. But if the first two have already gone one way, I don't think it makes me lean a different direction other than just for the sake of using that narrative, certainly with this Seahawks team against that Niners team, whereas it's not close in terms of who is the more talented, better team, higher ceiling, all of that. And that will be the case no matter who the Seahawks play, unless somehow they get to play the Giants in the in the playoffs at some point. Um, 
so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with with them making the playoffs and how I'd view it. From a Vegas standpoint, which I guess is how you, you know, is is how you perceive a lot of how you watch football now. Yeah, you, you mentioned that five and a half wins was the Seahawks over under. And a lot of people in Seattle jumped on that from an over standpoint and thought, you know, they're being underrated. Um, that's an easy, easy over. And it, it's proven to be that way. But from a revisionism standpoint, I think the conversation was generally that look, the quarterback play won't be good, but the rest of the roster will be strong enough to drag Gino through to seven, eight wins. And in a way, it's kind of been the opposite. I think the good in Seattle has come from what was expected to be bad and vice versa. From a Vegas standpoint, how does that sort of reset itself? Or is that just the kind of thing they say, look, it, it was what it was. And uh, but, but, but then conversely, if you told the guys that Seattle were going to get good quarterback play, I imagine that it would have been sort of eight and a half, nine, because you know, from an from an expectation standpoint, I see a lot of people saying, "Well, you thought we'd win four games." Well, expectations change, and I thought we'd win four games because I thought Gino Smith would suck. He hasn't. Mm-hmm. So, but if you told me he wouldn't, I would have said, "Well, they'll win eight or nine games." Yeah, I think just because they've won eight games, potentially nine this year, it doesn't mean like that's the bar for mm-hmm. the total next year. Because Vegas will certainly take what what they do in the off season to consideration, all of that. And they're also, you know, you expect other teams around you to get better. Maybe some teams get worse. My guess is it's probably eight, seven, maybe seven and a half, seven and a half next year. Um, but I don't, you know, it could be seven. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah. I think one of the few things I got right, I can, I get feel like I get everything wrong, but, but I, I did, I didn't. Ex- okay. I won't say, I'll say this. I, I didn't expect, Gino to be this. I didn't expect him to play like, a pro bowler and deservedly so making the pro bowl. He's been that good, but I, I did expect him. I talked about the game manager moniker. I, I, I thought he would be that and could be that. I mean, they were competitive with him last year and logic tells you, if you are able to get more reps, you can develop and grow as a starter. And he's certainly done that. I won't say I expected this, but I, I did expect competence from Gino. I understood why, I never expected Drew Locke to have a chance because I think he allows Pete Carroll to build the identity he wants with this team because um, you don't have all those factors you're dealing with with Russell Wilson. So, yeah, if you have a guy who, again, can take what's there, won't turn the ball over, can can build around the running game, again, that's something that wasn't the case for a lot of the year where Gino really had to lead the team with the arm. Um, so, yeah, I I don't even know where I'm going other than to, like, halfway to my own horn that like, I didn't expect Gino to be terrible. That wasn't sort of where I went into the season. I think it makes sense why a lot of people were on the Seahawks over five and a half, because there was enough structure in place, enough continuity in place, enough very obvious what the identity was going to be in place to where enough games in the NFL are close one score games that you can find your way to six. And it is interesting. We talked about this before the year. I talked about it um, was, um, like the way the line works, okay, the line's at five and a half, but like the the number uh, was minus 140, which normally you'd expect a bet like that. Uh, any bet that's designed to be 50-50, it's at minus 110, which means you have to bet $110 to win 100. Now, you talk about the juice, and, and if a lot of money or steam and action is coming in on one side, they might not move the line. They might not move it from five and a half to six. They'll just make it more expensive. So it was like one minus one fifty, I think, a win bet when the season kicked off because all of the action was on the over. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people out there, Seahawks fans and otherwise, who believed 
this team would be competent enough to get its way to six. And that's really all you have to do to get six. Like six ain't a whole lot. And like competency will will normally get you there. Yeah. Uh, so looking ahead, if, unless it's, if it's a week or two weeks or three weeks away, there's going to be a do- the first domino in the Seahawks off, off season. It feels like it's probably going to be what they do with Gino. Um, do, you, do, you, do you agree with that, that Gino's contract or let him walk or let him test or whatever they do, that's going to like gauge a lot of what they do, like aggression-wise or how this team sits heading into the draft and heading in, obviously, into next season? Yeah, it's, it's the biggest storyline. It's the first decision they have to make. My guess is I don't think there's a question they franchise tag him because you can franchise tag somebody and then still – agree on an extension and rip up the, the franchise tag. I just don't. So there's no way they let him get to free agency. I just, there's, he's been way too good. I mean, that doesn't even, doesn't matter what you were going to do in the draft, but I just don't see how you could justify letting him walk for nothing with the expectation of drafting a rookie and maybe rolling with Drew Locke in 2023, who's also a free agent. Um, So, yeah, I think, he will be on the franchise tag in 2023 unless he gives them a decent size discount on a multi-year deal in terms of average annual value. That's my prediction. And I, I don't think that's a, a hot take. No. Even with the, the team somewhat... Uh, I mean, that's basically the whole cap they have available yeah. right now. And obviously you can be creative, but that basically is the cap space done. Yeah, they'll figure it out. I think they have to. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe I, no, I, I just I don't think so. I mm. I don't think you can let Gino walk. I nah. mean, given what you saw all year, and given what you see around you in the NFL, I mean, how many teams would be desperate for Gino? And more yeah. than half, probably. Mm. You know, if we yeah. wanted to be honest, well, the Washington Commanders are a playoff team with Gino. I mean, maybe that's what we do. We go through the standings of teams that just missed the playoffs, and they would have been a playoff team. The Jets would have been a playoff team with Gino. The Patriots would be better with Gino. They might still make the playoffs. Um, I mean, the, the entire the NFC South looks different if Gino is in that division. Probably correct. Yeah, mm. Saints, Falcons, Panthers, all of them. Great call. We've already gone through what eight. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like it's it's immense. Um, what his value is, and then you can go through the other teams that are like. Fine, but like you could argue Gino's been better than their guy. Oh, Titans are a great example of one. Yeah. Uh, the Colts are a wonderful example of one. Um, so the you know, the Browns all season is are a great example. Um the Steelers, even though Kenny Pickett's kind of come on late, he hasn't been better than Gino this year. So yeah, that the list gets pretty big pretty quick when you want to when you want to talk about who Gino has outplayed and which teams are would be would love to have him. Um, and what 30 million makes him like the 13th or 14th highest paid quarterback in football. And he's certainly been better than that this year. Yeah. And also when you think about it, the Pete Carroll in his what 12, 13 years in Seattle hasn't bought in many quarterbacks outside of what he knows kind of thing. Like Gino has been here yeah. four years now and outside of Gino and obviously the Broncos quarterback, there's like late rookies, like Magoo, Trevor Boykin was undrafted. Austin Davis. Austin Davis kind of was just, yeah, we'll have him because he's cheap. And then, yeah, like, like he, there's a, it's a big deal if he trusts and you know Pete's way, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a great point. 
I don't uh, have anything to add to it. I think you said it perfectly. Yeah. Uh, then in the draft, um, there's been a bit of chat, I think I've seen on Seahawks Twitter, that um, about the whatever the Broncos pick is being somewhat of a free hit and just use it and don't move back. Is that is that what you subscribe to as well? Just take the BPA kind of best fit, best player kind of thing? Or would you entertain, I don't know, an indie move up or just try, just to try and get 2024? The whole kind of thing. Unless you're just not sold on Jalen Carter or Will Anderson, whoever's left there, assuming it's the third pick and you're guaranteed one of them. If you're not, it just feels like, and I don't want to claim to be a draft expert. I'll certainly dive more into it after the season, but it, it, it feels like those it's those two guys in a big gap. And it's, it's commonly like that with defensive linemen or, or mm. just talent in general in the draft. Um, yeah, I, if if those guys are off the board, then probably it, it becomes more plausible and uh, suggested to move back. I'm also curious how they grade the quarterbacks because this is probably going to be the last time they get an opportunity to take the first or second second guy because the, the Texans will go quarterback. The, the Bears won't. Uh, and so you likely have the second guy there. If you grade him as the guy really hard to, to turn that away as well. So yeah, I'm fascinated what they do with that pick, but, but trading down with a guy like Will Anderson or Jalen Carter on the board feels unwise. Unless you're dead set on a quarterback, you think will be there a couple picks later. Yeah. I've talked myself into the fact that to be that good as an interior defensive lineman, you really have to be like Nick Bosa, Aaron Donald levels of, of, of great. Now, obviously you can't project these things at this stage, you know, automatically, but the buzz coming off about those two guys seems that they're going to be very, very good players, but sort of more like Bradley Chubb levels. And I don't know. There's part of me that just wonders that, as you say, we hope we never have to pick this high again. And I just don't know if I can legislate missing out on potentially a great quarterback. And look, in fairness, the, the swell for quarterbacks does tend to come around combine time when agents start leaking stuff and GMs start leaking stuff. And I'm sure that in two months time, there's going to be, you know, Peter King saying, well, there's five must take quarterbacks uh, in the top five and, and that's it. So I'm interested to see how that goes, but I don't know, like we've had so much fun at Denver's expense and I just think taking an interior defensive lineman with that pick, just, I don't know, I want to compound the fun by taking a guy that John Schneider thinks, you know, he, he loved, he loved Josh Allen. And Pat And we know he loved that. So he knows quarterbacks. Now, look, if he doesn't think those guys are there, fine. Obviously that, that stands to reason. But if he thinks Will Levis is the next Josh Allen, like, I, fuck it. Like a defensive lineman has to be so good to be better than that potential thing that I just think take the swing at, at the quarterback at this stage. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I agree with everything you just said. And if Jalen Carter isn't Quinn and Williams or Chris Jones, and if, uh, and if Will Anderson isn't Nick Bosa in your evaluation, then yeah, then it does open up the door for a trade back to, to maybe – that next pick you get in 2024, we're, we're having this conversation, this Broncos conversation all over again with whatever team Seahawks fans spend the entire season rooting against <laughs> to hopefully get back up there one more time. So, yeah, I, it all comes down to 
how, and we'll get a clear picture of how the, the draft community views those guys as well. Um, you know, I, Quinn Williams wasn't a surprise. I mean, he was, he was touted to be the dude that he is and same thing with Nick Bosa. So I am curious to see if, if both with those guys and with the quarterbacks, if we see some like, meh, like, ah, you know, like Trevon Walker, first overall pick last year, they didn't get taken. And, and like everyone across the board was, you know, it was a surprise that day. It was like, wait, he's getting picked first. This is nuts. Um, so you, you don't want that situation. You know what I mean? Like you want it to be chalky, like a top three pick should be chalky. And Nick Bosa, Miles Garrett type got the chalkiest picks ever. So yeah, I'm I'm completely in agreement with you. I mean, Hutchinson, who has been like objectively really good, has the same number of sacks as Daryl Taylor, who's been crap uh, to all yeah. intents and purposes. Now, obviously sack numbers, you know, they're pressure rates and all this stuff that's yeah. way there's so many more metrics than sacks which is a hugely reductive thing but you know if you know, it's a reductive sport at times and i don't know there's kind of you know dwight freeney came into seattle for a cup of coffee and got four sacks in, in two games <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean like there, there's so much of it that seems that there's scheme that would element on a defense side of things whereas the offense if you've got an arm you've got a chance um, yeah aiden, aiden hutchinson also has three interceptions yeah, yeah he's really great he's great um but yes i it's and that's why I mean this pick is so vital. I mean, if you miss on it, it's just such a blow. <laughs> and they've 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 been John Schneider's gotten such a pass for his mediocre to downright poor drafts because they've drafted so late year after year. So you get you can miss on LJ Collier at what 30 or 31. I mean, as much as it still stings, but that like that's just compounded and exponential when you potentially draft LJ Collier at three, if that makes sense. Does, and now yeah. whoever they would, they wouldn't be that bad. I don't, you know, although the Raiders did it with Clellan Farrell and it's sort of the same thing. Um, <coughs> like, yeah. So I, it's crazy. It's going to be big for great conversation I, I, for the I, next few months. I cannot I'll wait. Ask, I can't I'll wait for the next four months. I'll ask you both a yeah. question and Joe, you can have a, you can have second stab at this. You've got a bit more time to think about it. Stu, if you were Pete Carroll, what would you do with the third overall pick? And if you were John Schneider, what would you do with the third overall pick? Uh, Jalen Carter, I think, is... John Schneider answer. I think the quarterback is, really? Pete, is Pete Carroll's answer because I think... the, the No, no, that's the wrong way around. That's the wrong way around. Yeah. yeah. I think, like... I, I, Jalen Carter's the one player in this draft class I think of what outside of the quarterbacks I've watched the most of and it's very it, it, there's the next four months I could get very Kevin Costnery in uh, draft day uh, it could be Jalen Carter no matter what kind of vibe because he is just I've, I don't think I've ever seen a player who the the potential of him in Seattle I don't think I've ever seen in a Seattle defensive lineman even with Cliff and might be and all that, all of that team. What Jalen Carter could bring to this defense and what this defense has lacked this year in particular, I think, is just is exponentially as excited a pick five months away from the draft as I think it could be. Um, yeah, I, I, I honestly think Jalen Carter could be the answer to both. Joe, I think for me, it. I don't mean for this to be a cop-out, but I think you have to go with your top guy. Like you, if you view the quarterback, I mean, it, 
if he is, if if Jalen Carter, Will Anderson is here, and the quarterback is here, I, and or or vice versa, I don't think you can go in looking for a specific position, even if there's one that you kind of would lean that you would prefer. Maybe that breaks a tie. So maybe that's the best way to answer this question of if if it's a tie between C.J. Stroud and Will Levis and, and either one of those guys. Do you oh, have a man. hunch? Do you have a hunch based on what you know about the individuals from your time, sort of in and around the building of like? What Schneider, because you know he's a Green Bay guy. They're known for their quarterbacks. Again, I'm I'm being hugely cliched here, and it's a it's a really hard question. Uh, John Schneider, quarterback, me, Pete yeah. Carroll, defensive lineman. Because yeah. I think John Schneider wants to put his imprint on this team that I don't think he's had for the last five or six years. It is is my. Well, I think I, I think my hugely. I, I think I think he did that ten impression. He, he did that ten months ago by engineering the Broncos trade. But that's we're still. I think this this is still the same part of that. Like this yeah. is all connected. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. that's when you, the the ball starts rolling, and now is is when you sort of put a you know put a pin in or close the close the book on that trade. But that trade, I mean, we're it's very much until we you know it's I mean, the, it's this is what was the picks, but until we know what the players are, I mean, that, <laughs> that trade is still very much up for discussion. So I, yeah, I, I th- my, my guess is John Schneider would love to take a quarterback if he loves one. And, and Pete Carroll would say, I can win with Gino. Give me a, a monster defensive lineman, especially because I don't think it's a guarantee that Pete Carroll really wants to stick, continue to stick around and do this. I think it's easy to say because it's he's rah, rah and whatever, but you know, father time catches up with everybody. Health catches up with everybody wanting to spend time with friends and family catches up with everybody. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if it's a guarantee that he is the Seahawks head coach in three years, or even yeah, I, th- I think I think or Pete even next go, year. Pete could go full Ben Roethlisberger if, if Schneider took a quarterback and be like, "Well, not my job to coach." <laughs> I, I, Geno Smith. Like, why do we need to, why do we need this guy for yeah. two years' time when I'm on a beach in Hawaii somewhere? Uh, yeah, Joe, do you not see him going the undersized quarterback route with Bryce Young? Then obviously, the, the first two names off out of your mouth were Stroud and Levis. Do you not see the I'm just Five guessing nine. Houston goes with yeah. Bryce Young. Oh, okay. Really? Yeah. Some of these stories of the weekend were unbelievable. So I, I am nowhere near enough of a draft nick to have a board. But if I was, I don't know, just the 5'10", 180 pounds thing would just scare the life out of me. And from a Seattle standpoint, especially, having watched sort of 10 years of that kind of style of short man quarterbacking, having watched what a functional thing is supposed to look like with tight ends and over the middle, like... I really like what we have right now, which is crazy to say. And I'm not denigrating the Denver Broncos quarterback's best time when I tried to say that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's going to be fun. Again. But also, the, one other point with the potential of a trade back, we're still taking that defensive lineman. The best defensive lineman in the league, for most people, it seems, has been Dexter Lawrence for the Giants. And he was like 16, 15 in this draft. Like he was the third, fourth defensive line. And he's just stepped up. Again, and a um, good coach of Whit Martindale, but it, it, like, I, I would not be surprised if if Bryce and then Jalen, or I would not be surprised if they look to move back and try and keep the, the upper echelons of their cupboard stuck for twenty twenty four as well. That's I think that's a. Um, it's a, just going to be a fun. You know, yeah, three, not, four months I, I, of the offseason yeah, yeah. because Definitely. how boring is draft season when you pick 30th? How boring <laughs> are mock drafts when you pick 30th? Yeah. Like yeah. how boring are pro days and combines and yeah. all of that stuff? I mean, I, I, I can tell you 
I, I spent four and a half years covering the Niners and draft season was much more fun than the actual football season for, <laughs> for pretty much all of them uh, because they were so terrible. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, this is the Seahawks are getting the best of both worlds right now where they've had a fun season. As you met, met, mentioned, Adam, like it's been your most fun year in, in maybe five or more. And then now on, on top of that, you still get to enjoy, um, you know, everyone gets to enjoy the excitement of having a top five pick. I mean, it didn't hit, but they usually went D-line with them picks, weren't they? Armstead, Buckner, Solomon, and aforementioned Nick Bosa. That was usually the that was yep. their run, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, so yeah, it's, uh, I, I can't wait. Also, I would quite like us to take a run at Javon Hargrave uh, over in Philly as a free agent, and they're not going to be able to pay everyone. I think he's, he's a fun player coming out, and he's still a fun player in Philly. Uh, Adam? Yeah, Joe, you mentioned about Pete and, you know, it's, you can't talk about anything with Seattle without mentioning Pete Carroll. He's, you know, larger than life character and, you know, has run the show for, for ages. And you uh, had a chat with Rob Staten, I think, on social media about, you know, how long can Pete Carroll be bothered to stick around, really? And it's one of those things that, the, the you know, the Jets win the way in which they won. You could see him getting home and thinking, I'm staying for two more years after losing to the, the Chiefs and the Niners, thinking, fuck it, I'm out you know, next week. Um, he is that kind of emotional character that is is hard to read. But do you have a hunch on on how much longer he might want to stick it out for? Because it, it strikes me if they go three years, you know, if next year doesn't work out well, you know, if Gino's, you know, the variance of turnover worthy throws, you know, some eventually that catches up with you and whatever. Is there part of you that wonders, you know, I mean the clock's ticking because the guy's 71, 72 years old, but in reality, is this the kind of thing that you think where you know maybe one bad turn away from it being the end of the, of the regime. I don't think it's a guarantee that he's back next year. Hmm. Like I know that, and that is a hot take, and and I don't say that predicting it, and I won't run around in circles saying I told you so. If it does, other than I'll just say, yeah, I, I'm not totally surprised. Is what my reaction would be. I just I just don't think anything's a given with someone who's north of seventy. You know, we don't know what's happening. We don't know what that grind is doing to him. Certainly, publicly, he's never going to show it. But I think there's been moments during games where you look at his face. There's been some post-game press conferences where it feels sort of defeated or just tired. Mm. And, like, I get it, you know? Like, oh, my gosh. Like, you know, I think he, and he could leave after this season and, and have his status – as a legendary coach cemented, you know, I mean, would he love to, to orchestrate uh, and, and help build another Super Bowl winner? Of course. But like, I think there's probably some realism that hits harder at 70 than it did at 60, where you're like, how genuinely, how close are we? And, and can I do it with grandkids getting older, children getting older, whatever. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I just think people who I, and I put this out on Twitter a couple weeks ago and people were like, you're a moron. <laughs> I don't think I'm a moron for suggesting that it could happen. I think it, I think it's going to be a year to year thing for him. Well, the, in the, the other part of that is, you know, you've been, you know, you were quite revered on the beat for being someone that would try and hold Pete Carroll to account at times when things weren't maybe going as well as the happy clappers were suggesting. I mean, do you think he, unreservedly deserves to be back next year, sort of no questions asked. Yes, I don't think you can win eight games when you, you know you were given a, 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 a total of five and a half. You know, I think the buy-in is still evidently there. The players are still fighting like hell for him. You know, like you mentioned, I 
the culture seems to be there. They've got to figure something out defensively, you know, whether it's scheme, whatever. You can't have these long stretches where you're abysmal. And we've seen that several years running now. So if if he continues to be that CEO and defers play calling, defensive play calling, defensive structure, all of that, I think, yes, he deserves it. But But I think there are serious questions that need to be asked of what the heck, you know, this defense has been bad for years now. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know. Let's look at the, the defense. They have been 22nd or worst in yards allowed over the last four years. Now, somehow in 2021, they were the 11th ranked scoring defense and the 15th ranked scoring defense the year before that. But I think, again, a lot of that you watch and you say, how did that happen? Because we watched teams march up and down the field against them. A lot of bending but not breaking, which is fine in spurts and you're not playing well, but you don't want that to be, that to be your fastball. So, yeah, I think that is a genuine cause for concern um, and something that has to be figured out moving forward. But also to add credence to, to your hot take in inverted commas is that he has given up. Like we spoke to Matty Brown a couple of weeks ago, who said the language has changed on the defense, like scheme wise, with Clint Hurt, with Sean Desai, and everyone else they put in uh, to coordinate and run that defense. That also kind of leads to it that he's just kind of going, it's, well, it's my defense for 45 years, but this year you can change it up and kind of like the results haven't bear, bore the fruit, obviously, we all wanted to see. But that, that does add weight to maybe him just like, not checking out because he's never going to check out, but like that he could quite easily walk away and go, look, this is all in place to carry on and stay competitive at the, in the week 18, yeah. week 17. Game. I don't think he will ever do it half-heartedly. And I don't think he is this year. I think that, yeah, he's no. probably made some necessary changes of like taking, you know, his hands off of some, some different things within the team. But yeah, I, I just think he, who he is at his core, he's not going to ever half-ass it. And if he's not 100% in, I think he would call it a day, as hard as it would be. And it's certainly going to be a difficult decision whenever it happens because there's always going to be a part of him that wants to coach forever. Mm. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I think it's I those, think it's possible. Those, I think those, I, those flights from Hawaii to Seattle in July get a bit longer when you're the end of 70, don't they? I would call it... Uh, 20%. Hmm. Which is, yeah. No, they got, I think that's the GMA. The first time I've even thought of that as a consideration this season that this is, yeah, the end of like, the, the potential is there that he could. Because I also don't think he's going to do the like, this is going to be my last year. And then it, like it, the, Mark, it go, the Mark Holmgren thing. The, the farewell tour. I don't think that's going to be a Pete Carroll thing. Yeah. Now, if it is, I'm not going to hold it against him. I, I don't mean it that way, but it just, I think he will, I don't think he will want that attention. Yeah, um, I agree. So I, yeah, I mean, it. it's going to catch all of us by surprise to a certain degree because it's not going to be announced before the season. You know? Yeah. So I think that kind of makes me think it won't happen because you would think maybe wrongly that you'd go into his last home game knowing it would be his last home game. Maybe. Maybe. 
We'll see. Yeah, it's tricky. It's, it's legitimately That'd be a weird thing to. It'd be a weird thing to drop. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a big attention seeker. Yeah, it, it, it'd be likely with if there was le- legitimately nothing to play for on Sunday, wouldn't it? Like with something on the line on Sunday, it kind of feels like yeah, a true. weird thing to. And I also think it. you might not know yet. It might be like yeah. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go on vacation and I'm gonna evaluate it during the off season. And that's probably how we'll approach it every year. Yeah. Well, with the NFL scheduling, which we can get onto, that game now basically does stand for nothing because if we win, the Lions are going to jack it in. As much as uh, that guy, he can say what uh, he wants, uh, but uh, if, the, uh, if these guys are three hours away from an injury-free off-season and it goes 10 nothing Green Bay, best one in the world, I mean, it's human nature. No, Joe, am I, am I, am I way off on that? I know the fight. I don't think it means are... nothing. Like, I don't think that news means nothing. But I also, I, I think, I think they will play. I think... It will be a bummer, and some guys will handle it better than others. But against the Packers of all teams, you know, if they're playing whatever other team that maybe there's not the distaste for, it's different. I don't think it's the same game, but I don't know if it's like a complete no-show either. Would it move the line, do you think? Has it moved the line at all? Uh, I'm curious if it would move the line. What is it right now? It's four and a half. I mean, that four and a half doesn't say the Lions are going to lay down. No. And also, mm-hmm. it's, it's a young team with a coach who obviously breeds competitive. It might move area. a half point but or also maybe a point to five and a half. We're talking I don't about think it moves more than that. It also could end the the demon of the NFC North career in, in certain examples. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers could quite easily walk away and just ayahuasca his life up for the next 40 years um, with the, the 2023 version of Charles Manson's brunch, whatever it is, but yeah, there's a lot on the, the that lines that lines, and again, they're talking about playoff season, uh, draft uh, slots. But that's a young team. I mean, it's and, worth talking about like how much the entire league office is praying the Rams beat the Seahawks on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just praying <laughs> the Rams find a way. Yeah. You get a win and end game. You know, basically, that's a playoff game. It's the start of the playoffs is Lions-Packers. It's pre-wild card, wild card. Yeah. It's to end the regular season. The Lions, who never make the playoffs against the hated Packers and Aaron Rodgers and this magical run they've been on when they were dead in the water. Ugh. Vomit thinking about it. (laughs) For that reason, I I really am not emotionally affected by Seahawks games a whole lot, but for that reason, I want the Seahawks to win so badly. Yeah, I want the Nickelodeon kind of beat down. Because... Just because that that would the NFL would say this is why we made the decision. Brilliant! You didn't have to worry about the Seahawks; they weren't going to beat the Rams anyways. And now look what we've done: we've pushed <laughs> this final game of the season onto this glorious mantle that's going to do ratings just bonanza. Aren't yeah. we clever? Aren't we clever? Uh, so any, any other questions heading into Seahawks off season for you, Joe? Whenever that off season. Enters the fold and enters the chat. Hard, hard to look too far past anything until they make a choice with Gino. Yeah, you know, like it. That will dictate a whole lot, and I, I fully expect him to be in a Seahawks uniform next season. Yeah, I agree. Uh, anything else on Seahawks, Alan? No, I think Seahawks. I'm done. We should probably talk about uh, crazy stuff happened last night, but um, yeah, no, Seahawks. Uh, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, before we get to the horrific stuff. Uh, the college football weekend 
is a weekend they badly needed. Like, I have like the close football season has kind of passed by, but there was four or five. Like the the uh, Tulane comeback against USC last night. Lincoln Riley is a USC coach who cannot finish games. It was incredible to watch, and just how many. Uh, like Tulane was it the biggest turnaround in college football history like year on year from like two was it two and eleven to thirteen and two or something they've done yeah it's incredible yeah. and the two the two final four games were just ridiculous uh, TCU winning is phenomenal and Ohio State kind of hung around with Georgia and yeah uh, pretty yeah just it's just exactly the weekend. It kind of proves. I know Alabama blew out, or whoever they blew out, but yeah, that's that's the weekend the college football needed because they, especially the, the the final four games, were just unbelievable. Oh yeah, I mean that Ohio State Georgia game was sensational, and watching USC collapse on Monday was just a, a joy to watch. And the the, the Pac-12 team with the best record this year was the Washington Huskies. After all of that, which is. Always fun, somewhat surprising, and everyone just like we always, and, just like we all expected twelve months ago. Yeah. <laughs> and they're getting everyone on the transfer portal. They got the so Oklahoma State running back today. They picked up. Yeah, they got they someone. Got running back today, yeah. anyway. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, we woke up. Um, we woke up this morning, Adam, and couldn't quite believe the, the stuff we were seeing out of Cincinnati, and it's just uh, with. Oh, we like the first thing I thought about them is when we were in the stadium last year against the 49ers and uh is it Trent Sherfield, I think, got bulldozed on a kick return, the ambulance is on, and 30 seconds after the ambulance is off the field in the tunnel, they're doing exactly the same thing again. It was really startling to watch in the stadium. I think we spoke to Nick Bloor about it as well, like because he was on that in on that play as well but it's 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 just a reminder what like what these guys kind of put through and the conversations they're probably having with their all around the league all around the sport probably the conversations that these players are having with their families are probably incredibly intense it's kind of like the emotional mental side of everything that the players not in Cincinnati last night witness is kind of gonna probably be a shadow over the week 18 games isn't it yeah, I mean, it's I don't know what they do. It's hard to even really talk about when I mean, we've just spent an hour doing it, but there's still that sort of in the back of your mind, like they have a game that hasn't been finished. Um, you've got a rattled league that, you know, probably more sobering than what you've seen in other gruesome injuries. I don't know. I don't think anything's out of the question. I don't think that it's out of the question that some maybe notable players will say, you know what? I'm good. I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I want to even, I don't know. You know, we've seen some of that with head trauma and stuff, but you know, you like, I'm putting my head at risk, but then you think about every hit, every who knows when you're going to get hit in the chest at just the right time to where, your whole heartbeat goes awry and you go, you know, it's really, yeah, it's, it was sobering. It was chilling that seeing the reactions of the players, you know, Josh Allen's look, Stefan Diggs. I mean, it's horrifying. Um, and it's hard to even talk about it because we still don't know that he's at this time of recording that he's going to be fine. Yeah. 
you know, like he's still fighting for his life right now. So cool. yeah, it's really dark and sad. Um, and you just pray that, that this young man, um, is able to pull through. Yeah. I mean, figure the, everything the, else out after that, these guys are wired so differently to us mere mortals to the, even get themselves to the you know, mental standpoint. They can even play the game that I would imagine they'll go on the field on Sunday when they play and just have the mindset that you can't think about it because if you start thinking about it, you're, uh, you're sort of staring your own mortality in, in the face. But it, um, I'm not going to say anything pleasantly surprised me about last night because there was nothing pleasant about it at all. But the NFL is that is that kind of machine that never does come to a stop. And I was, yeah, it, the fact they didn't play the game and, and didn't force the players into playing kind of strikes me as something that I probably wouldn't have expected to ever hear from an NFL game because. You know, they, I don't know what they're going to do about, about this. Uh, and like, you know, it doesn't matter in the general scheme of things. It's fucking sport. But to those, you know, Vegas and the, you know, there's billions of dollars at stake ultimately for all this. And it's um, not that that matters in, in the slightest, but, you know, we're talking about sports. So let's talk about sports. It, it, it interested me that that's the approach they took. And I, I was grateful that they did, but I, I don't know how they're going to kind of pick up the pieces from it, to be honest. Yeah, I mean it's logistically a huge challenge because it's it's a hard one to you know say well we're not going to reschedule it or play it out because there's so much at stake in terms of the AFC's playoff picture. Um but I don't know. I mean again, and I hope it goes without saying that, that none of this is it matters even a little bit until we know that he's okay. Sure, but yeah, I don't think I, I hope no one. Yeah, I hope no one's listening to us thinking how insensitive like they're like that's what yeah we're talking about I, sports. And I don't, I don't think anyone is. I mean, I, I would hope not. Um, but yeah, that's certainly the next layer to it, and it will be a logistical headache and whatever. And hopefully, we can <laughs> we can think about that soon because that'll mean that you know. Uh, Hamlin pulled through and is on the road to recovery. But yeah, when you talk about the ripple effect of all of it and the, the ripple gets bigger depending on what the outcome is, but there's already a ripple enough of, you know, every conversation in every NFL household of every player and coach and whatever saying, what the fuck are we doing here? I mean, yeah, I mean, every, every crazy. partner, if you're a player, that must be the last thing you ever want your partner to see happen because you know what every conversation is going to be like, and rightly so. I'd say, I'd, I'd say, if I, if to a friend of mine in the same situation, like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, some good has come come of it. Obviously, the the stuff with his foundation and his toy drive is absolutely unbelievable. I think it's almost five million quid, five million dollars. Um, at time recording, uh, Chris Jericho donated, donated twice because he misspelled his own name, which is the most Chris Jericho thing of it all. But yeah, no, it's just it was uh, horrible to wake up to, and then just kind of watching. But Scott Van Pelt, Ryan Clark, Lisa Salters, Buck and Aikman, like ESPN dealt with it, and Boom McFarlane as well. They, yeah, like, like you don't get training on things like that, do you? Jay? Just kind of like, and, like they had no information to go off. They were just talking off the cuff and it was it's yeah it was yeah, pretty impressive to watch from their standpoint but. can i ask you guys a question now this is I'm, I'm sort of at least 
quick tangenting, but I, uh, you said it, everything you said was perfect. Uh, ESPN was just tremendous. And Scott Van Pelt and Ryan Clark was, it was a masterclass in terms of dealing with an impossible situation. Uh, you mentioned quid. What's the difference between quid and a pound? Same thing. Just dollar and buck. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I, so, no, I, I was, I, I was, you I was, said I was, it and I was like, you know what? I always, you hear that on TV yeah, shows yeah. or movies or was, whatever. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, Man, uh, yeah. Okay, that makes think, sense. I was thinking, were you there when? Yeah, Mo- I was just Mo-Lamba about to say. Happened. So in 2012, Joe, there was a soccer player that just collapsed on the field um, in exactly the same way, uh, was miraculously saved. And uh, I was at the game and his legs were facing my direction when he was being given the sort of, um, oh, the words escaped my mind, the defibrillators. And I could see his legs sort of bouncing up and down as a result. And it was it's something that's etched on my mind ever since and I'll never forget it. And the silence, everyone just streaming away from the stadium when the game was abandoned halfway through. Uh, and then two months later, they replayed the game because the scheduling kind of worked that way. It doesn't in this, in this sense. And the guy came back on the field and clapped everyone. And it was quite an emotional moment. Um, I suppose the best we can hope for is to be in a situation like that, whereby. Well, that was Christian Eriksen too. A couple no, of years ago, yeah, right? yeah, Eriksen happened as well in, in the Euros. Um, Fabrice Mwamba was the first guy that it happened to in an FA Cup game. Um, yeah. And I, uh, I always lament my, the, the fact that um, I saw him lying there, I, and they they were quite heavy underdogs at the time. And I kind of berated under my breath that the guy was time wasting lying down like that, and all of a sudden it was just carnage. Um, he, he he was gone for was it an hour. He was gone. Yeah. For? Is, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, that's 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 the first one I thought of as well. We we, yeah. we won't do a bin today, but people like David Chow uh, or Do- whatever his name is, yeah. the doctor, tweeting out videos of it and saying, "Oh, thank goodness he, it happened to him on an NFL field." Uh, it was particularly insensitive, I thought, and there was some stuff that I just you don't always have to tweet it, um, no. and I often do tweet it, but you don't always have to tweet it. No, yeah. I would really Agreed. like to know why Shannon Sharp didn't do his TV show today as well, but that's it. Different yep. conversation as well. Um, like I said, like I said, Joe, it's been a while. How is uh, the Vegas life? Shooting you know, what two two NFL seasons in now? Two years in? Yeah, I'm, I'm good, man. I've met a girl out here. I love it here. Uh, nice to be more centrally located, just because Seattle's so damn far away from everything. Uh, certainly, seeing the sun every day is a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. You know, I'm curious to see what 2023 brings, but. Um, I would like to get off the roller coaster of moving every couple of years. Um, and, uh, and we'll see what happens. How have you found being involved in the gambling side of things? Cause we spoke about this when you just moved there and it was a slightly newer thing, but now you've got like the extra points network. I listen to all their podcasts and that's all gambling. There's so much of it now and everything is, you know, so it's legal in so many places now. Has it affected sort of how you view it as, as an industry at all, or is it just kind of, you're on, you're on the, the hamster wheel and you just, just stay on it. Yeah. I think it's fun in terms of like you watch games through a different lens to a degree, you know, particularly if it's games that you don't really emotionally care about. Um, you know, the, the, the best betting content out there is Scott Van Pelt on sports center. The, the bad beat segments are just <laughs> so good and funny. That's, that's the stuff that I think is, is fun, but I, I'm still, I'm not, I'm not a huge better. And when I am, I, I kind of like, I want, it to be in private you know i don't really like need to broadcast what i'm doing to everybody be- mostly because you know i don't care if people know i'm wrong or lose money like i don't want to be responsible for anyone else's 
bad decisions, you know, like that's just, and a lot of the betting space is like, I'm so sharp. I know all of these things. And it's like, I don't know a fucking cool thing. I don't have a clue. I'm trying to predict the future and I'm wrong more than I'm right. You know, like, so I try to approach anything like that with a, a self-deprecating tone, but um, yeah, you know, it's been interesting and there's some really fun parts to it and some, some things that I just miss sort of reporting and being able to talk about sports, um, you know, outside of the betting lens. Yeah. Uh, well, I've, I've never watched as much of the PDC darts world championship other ones I have over the last 18 days. Cause I had 10 pound on the value just won. Uh, so well yeah, done I, you. I just watched, yeah, there you Marcus go. Smith, well boy done. Boy. Yeah, that, well, that highlight was wild. I saw like the viral clip of the, the, the darts incredible. screaming. Yeah. I didn't know darts was like a packed house kind of environment. Oh, I mean, darts. it was rowdy. Darts yeah. is the best. Darts <laughs> is the best. The announcer was electric. Yeah. I, I, Adam did send one of his uh, friends to the arena last week armed with a, was it Broncos country, let's ride sign? Yeah, he had a let's ride sign. I was supposed to be there, but I had uh, all the illnesses under the sun. I had my elf costume ready that I couldn't wear. It was, uh, I was so sad. So sad I couldn't go. <laughs> yeah. And uh, one more thing, we, we spoke about Jackson with this. How was the uh, summer of uh, Julio for you as uh, the component of the nurse? Oh, fuck, man. That was so fun. That was just, <laughs> that was the best. I mean, that was me- memories watching games that I will never forget. Certainly that playoff series against the Blue Jays, being at the game for 18 innings when they lost to the Astros. I mean, a bummer, but still it's just so wildly fun. Um, you know, so many moments throughout the season. I remember sitting on my couch on a Sunday. Um, you know, it, it might have even been week one of the NFL season, but uh, you know, they walk off home run against Atlanta, clinching a playoff spot. I was out in public losing my mind like a buffoon. Like it, yeah, it was it was awesome. Yeah. Cool. And I I'm disappointed with how mundane they've they've been during this off season and we'll see yeah we'll see how it goes but certainly last season was a fun ride and he's a he's a special special talent isn't he Julio like he's exactly what oh god the yeah. place that kind of everything needed wasn't he um he's there the Mariners have their you know Patrick Mahomes their yeah. Mike Trout their Bryce whatever I mean whatever sport you want to use their you know Steph Curry I mean he is the fa- unequivocal face of Seattle sports at this point, and it, it won't yeah. change no matter who the Seahawks get down the road. You know, there might be somebody there that sort of shares the limelight, but it's Julio's town right now, which is is pretty damn cool as a, someone who loves baseball. Yeah, it, it kind of, it, from afar, it felt like it changed after his home run derby exploits. It kind of felt like the national exposure heightened sure. a bit and that kind of like intensified just it was the, the story of the wild card game yeah for yeah, sure yeah. or not the wild card the uh, all-star game i mean yeah. that whole kind of all-star break was he was headline number one and everyone's like oh shit this guy's pretty swaggy yeah, <laughs> and yeah. he's good as shit yeah and like so. still like 21 which is yeah annoying yeah. that's be that time that young uh where can people catch your uh stuff joe you can follow me on twitter at Joe underscore fan, you'll be able to find anything you need. So always a good place to start. Cool. Uh, we, as always, appreciate you jumping on with us. Uh, um, 
planning on getting to New York for the Giants game in 2023. Uh, probably won't be making the Seattle trip next year, but if you fancy a trip to MetLife next year, Joe, you have to grab a beverage, uh, I'll throw a couple of quid behind the bar and all that. And yeah, there you go. Sounds good, <laughs> fellas. Uh, always good to see. Always good to chat and catch up. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Yeah, Look forward to it. Thanks so much for your time. If all the usual means and methods, uh, Patreon, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Google Music, maybe, uh, Persian Podcast, patreon.com forward slash Persian Podcast if you, want, if you want to get involved with that. Uh, enjoy the game this week. Hopefully, you'll see us playing a playoff game in 10 days or so's time. Until next time, this has been the Pedestrian Podcast. Oh, yes.